0: Take your Bibles now, and this is week 41, day 287, since we went into our two weeks to flatten the curve. (sighs) Now I'm homeschooled, so my math's a little sketchy already, but two weeks, going on week 41, it uh, seems a little daunting. If If you do the math, 41 plus 11 is 52, another homeschool kid over here. 52, and 52 is, is one year. So in 11 weeks, 11, just 11 more weeks, doesn't sound like a lot to me, and in 11 short weeks, we'll be in the second week of March, which will be the one-year anniversary of when we went into corona chaos and lockdowns and restrictions and masks and mandates and, and all of that. And I just, I, I do, the, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of surprised that that many weeks have already gone by. Are you surprised that it's actually gone that fast? Like, in one side, you're like, wow, I can't believe that in 11 weeks it'll have been a whole year. But in the other side, you're like, it's been a long time. You, you, you maybe like me, have kind of like a historical peaks and valleys of, oh, remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Remember when we had to do that? Wow. And you're just, and It is just short forty one weeks, and we've gone through so many things, and and it hasn't been easy. As a matter of fact, it's been difficult. But but on one side, an optimistic tigger side, you know, like well, wow, I can't believe we've almost done this a year, and aren't you proud of yourself? And and we can, and yet on the other side, we have to be honest. And uh, I just ask a few questions before we get into First Peter. Have, have you suffered during this twenty twenty? We're coming up on the last two weeks. Have you wept? About it last night when I was putting my notes together, I man. Just sometimes we're so intense, and as a ministry leader, and as a father, and as a husband, and and as, as a community leader, I, I bear a certain level of responsibility and understanding in, in, in people's hearts. And I see the school system suffer, and the local businesses and the restaurants and it's, and it's, it's m- many of us suffer in our lives, don't we? You, you go through a situation, you know, maybe your house burns down or, or, or your family suffers a loss, but it's, this is more, more localized and, and spread out. And you can look at almost anybody and just imagine, empathize, would you have to give up? Would you have to sacrifice? Would you have to say, say goodbye to? And it's just, I was listening to some commentators last night at the during the Alabama-Florida uh, football game. Who, who watched the Alabama-Florida football game? Okay, me and my sons and, couple of, and, and and Megan and Spencer. Okay, Anyways, I'll tell you all about it. It's a great game. And, and as the commentators were talking, they spend the whole week with the teams. This is how commentators, they get to know the team. They spend a whole week there before college game day and, and they talk to the players. And, How's it been going? What's it been like? And they said, man, it's just been so hard. These are college football players, you know, and then everybody has suffered. Everyone's sacrificed something, and <sighs> here's what I want us to do, though. This is Christmas week. I'm so proud of you guys. Every Sunday, I just can't believe you guys show up. You guys are crazy. You're here. So encouraging to me. You're the church. You're here to, to learn of Jesus, to worship him. Nothing's going to stop you. The doors are opened back up. We're allowed recently, even in the last 72 hours, the governor has overturned some rulings, and now the numbers that churches are limited to are actually just recommendations. They're, they can't limit the church by numbers. It's just, this just happened like 36 hours ago. <laughs> Praise, Praise the Lord. Let's, let's, let's honor just the battle, though. That, that, that doesn't mean that the virus is, isn't real. doesn't mean we don't have to take precautions. Okay. But, but but we can now gather, you know, to that degree of numbers don't, don't matter. But, but they do, so don't go crazy. You don't be like, you know, giving anybody holy kisses today. <sighs> okay, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> it's Christmas week, though. Wouldn't it be awesome if, if we decided to read the scriptures a little more? Can you do that with, with me? Just read the scriptures a little more. Just it's Christmas week, we've sacrificed, there's things that aren't going to happen the same, the Christmas Eve service is going to be online only, and and actually, I asked my wife last night, I said, should I wear a, a, a red, you know, shirt, because it's Christmas, it doesn't even feel like Christmas, if you're honest, like, Will those Christmases happen, I don't know, so I wore the red shirt to pretend Christmas is happening, you know, it's a nice shirt, isn't it? <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I forgot one announcement, which is just that, that highlight reel of the preview of our Christmas Eve service. We're going to watch that real quick. It's fun. It's only 30 seconds. Go ahead and play that, would you, Dave? And we'll uh, get excited and truly am so, you can clap for that, I got you. it's so fun, so excited for what we are able to produce with the worship, with Pastor Ryan and the team and the, the video crew and, and all that that takes months of work to put something together like that, and all of our families that showed up for the kid interviews, you're not going to want to miss that, and then the word of God out of Luke chapter 1 and 2 is we're going to study together and, and here's what I want to, I want to put this on you guys. Every single year for the last 10 years, we've had a Christmas Eve service. I'll never forget the very first Christmas Eve service. I got here on August 29th, 2010, and the crew that was running the church at the time didn't do a Christmas Eve service. And so I asked them, what's our Christmas Eve service like? And they said, we uh, don't do one. Well. I said, what? You know, we got to do one. And the stage was over there. There was a wall there. This was a gravel parking lot at the time. And I remember I went up on stage, and 10 years ago, my son Noah back there was three. He's 13 now. You can do simple math there and figure that out. And so I went up and got up on stage, and he saw his dad going up on stage, and, man, he wasn't going to be stopped. He came and joined me on stage, and I was like, "Whoa! Here's this kid. What's he doing?" You know. And I remember I handed him off to Grandma Arla, and he started kicking and screaming, tantrum style, like DHS showing up. Oh, hey, hey! You know. So, so I had to have him on stage the whole time with me during that service, man. And just, oh, there were no Christmas presents for him when we got home. That was for sure. <laughs> here's what I want to challenge you guys, though. Every single year, that year included, and since then, we have done our best to present to you a Christmas Eve offering and a service. And every year we spend money and we spend time and, and efforts and putting lights up and doing as much as we can. And every year I kind of tell myself that it's okay to do above and beyond what anybody would expect, even myself, and to spend it's okay. Here's why because it's Jesus' birthday. And if you ever pull out the budgetary committee on Jesus' birthday, well, let's go ahead and not go too crazy, you know, and we don't want to spend too much money or too much time on Jesus' birthday. Like, and when Jesus was born, okay, angels innumerable showed up in the skies, screaming and yelling of the greatness of the Savior to some shepherds and then commanded them to go and worship likewise and then commanded some wise guys from the east to travel two years to find the babe from Bethlehem. Great Efforts were gone into celebrating Jesus Christ. Here is what I want to tell you guys to do. Plan right now on Christmas Eve, okay, to celebrate Jesus. You don't have to watch our service. There's other services online. But if you want to have a target point, how are you going to make sure this is all about Jesus? What are you going to do to make sure it's all about Jesus? I would just encourage you, do something extravagant with the video that we're producing at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. Get your family together. As a matter of fact, one of my friends, there's an event page on our Facebook wall where you can say, I'm going to that. It's online virtual only. But you can let your friends know. And somebody commented this morning and said, our highlight of the year. One of my favorite things to do is to go to the evening service at South Beach Church. There's two, four, and six, and and they bring their whole family. They live in Solets or Toledo or out there, and they they drive in, and they they pack the place out with their whole family, and and this particular friend of mine said, because we're not going to be able to do that in person, we're going to do it. At home, And even more people are going to be able to watch now with us all over the place. And so that kind of attitude is what I want you guys to have this year. You're coming off the end of 2020 and you're wondering what has gone on. So take your Bibles now, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses and uh, pray. I said verse 1, but I meant verse 3. This is part 3 in our 1 Peter series as we get into a life changed by Jesus because Jesus changes everything. So I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 7 and then pray. Peter says, If need be, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One more verse, whom having not seen, listen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible in full of glory, Father, in Jesus' name, would you not take Peter's wisdom, Peter's writing, the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Lord, preserved through generations, and now received, Lord, willingly by us. Would you produce faith in us? I pray for the brother or sister here who's stuck right now. They're just stuck. Just can't get past whatever it is. They're holding on to something. Something real. It happened. It's, can't change it. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that today faith would be enacted upon the brothers and sisters here that need that extra step of faith and boost of strength in their life, Lord. Would you have your mercy upon us? Would you bless us, Lord, as listeners and students? Would you bless me as a teacher, Lord, and a shepherd today? And we ask all these things for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? As we've been learning a little bit about the author, Peter, and also the audience, the pilgrims, and the sojourners, and the elect, I can relate so much to Peter. Because you see, Peter wasn't always named Peter. His first name was Simon Barjona. He was a shady character. Shifting sand is what his name literally means. And yet Jesus saw the potential in Christ in Peter. He saw who Peter could and would become if indeed Peter stayed with Jesus Christ. And this is what helps us as moms and dads and husbands and wives as leaders as we look at one another and say, Jesus can change you. (laughs) Man, Jesus can change you. But it gets even better than that. Do you know that you can look in the mirror when you wake up in the morning and you can say, Jesus can change me. Jesus can change me. Jesus, if Jesus can take Peter right where he's at and change his name and his character and he can become the, the Petra, the little rock that he is. See, Peter had all kinds of issues that the Lord would redeem. He was prideful. He actually had racial issues that he was working through. Paul held, held him accountable to some Gentile problems. He had a recorded track record of his past failures and sins. History tells us that when he would show up to certain circles, people would heckle him by saying, cock a doo doo <laughs> Can you imagine that? If I were a I'd get a, Peter, I'd get a rooster tattooed right on my forearm just to keep me you know, accountable. Remember, he, he denied the Lord and the rooster crowed. And people would make fun of him, and the accuser of the brethren never leaves us, and yet God used that because in his natural flesh, Peter was a failure. Peter did it his own way. And he found out that way doesn't work. Have you guys ever done it your own way? Anybody done it your own way and figured out that doesn't work? Man, and you're still here, right? Hey, I did it my own way. Like, what, what's your story? <laughs> like, what'd you do? And the Lord allows that. The Lord paid for that in order that the Lord would be able to shine his grace and mercy and his truth through your life. Your failures don't disqualify you. They actually qualify. Did you know that nobody goes to heaven except sinners? Heaven's full of sinners. Nobody else goes to heaven except sinners that have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The first prerequisite to going to heaven is to be a sinner. John says in his epistle, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. You can't, you you can't, can't start with that. You gotta start with your sin. And even then, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, grace and knowledge. And the grace of God grows in your life. Peter's going to use those words, but so does the knowledge of Jesus. And the closer you get to the Lord, aren't you more aware of your sin, even more aware? Not the big external things, you know, the stuff that you see on the outside, so easy to spot, you know? And the Lord says, as you get closer to me, I'm going to show you the character flaws, the integrity issues, the the things going deeper, because I want to grow you, and I want to make you into the person that I designed you to be. As we learned last week, Peter is the apostle of hope. John is the apostle of love, and Paul is the apostle of faith, faith, love, and hope. Peter talks about hope, and his primary target audience would need hope in a suffering world as they submitted and served the government, their spouses, their kids, and their employers. And I'll tell you what, this is a timely message for us here in America, living right now, waiting for the return of our king. How do we suffer? Well, how do we hold on to hope? How do we submit to people that we don't want to submit to? And how do we keep serving when that's what Jesus called us to do? And Peter's going to tell us how to do all that. Look at verse 3, though, and let's begin. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now stop right there, eyes up here. I want you guys to understand something. Here's Peter in his latter days, two years, maybe four, from death. He's about to die. Him and his wife will be crucified together. Roman persecution He's been through a lot as a matter of fact at this time Peter himself had been persecuted privately and openly Peter had been arrested multiple times Peter had seen his friends brutally killed even early on in Peter's ministry career Jesus his older cousin John the baptizer had his head cut off and served on a platter to Herod Peter was there when that happened Peter was there when his Savior was arrested and put upon the cross and nailed to the tree and suffered and bled violent death. If you haven't seen The Passion of the Christ, they had to take The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson, when he made that movie, and they had to cut scenes out because they wouldn't let him have that movie in theaters. It was too violent. Now, if you saw how violent it was, you're like, whoa, well, it, was, it was more violent? Portraying what it looks like in a Roman death. Peter had seen all that, and then when Jesus rose from the dead and restored Peter, Peter began his his ministry for Jesus, and Peter saw the church explode, but he also saw persecution arise. Peter saw his good friend Stephen arrested, bludgeoned to death with boulders. Peter saw his good friend John, John the Revelator, John's brother James, was arrested by Herod as well, and sawn in half the long way. Peter was arrested the next day and put in prison to be executed, Peter had gone through all of this, and I say all that because look at, look at verse 3 with me again. I want you just to feel this. Peter decides to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter had suffered in his life more than you'll ever suffer. And when it came time for him to write a letter, he says, bless God. Blessed be the name of our God. Blessed be our God and Father. Because God is good all the time and all the time. Now, how are you doing, 2020 Christian? Have you whined a little bit? Have you complained? When somebody asked you, how's it going? Oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has begotten us to a living hope through Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of the dead. Has that been your response? When you lost, when you got canceled on, when you had to let go? And I just want to implore you. This is why we're at Bible study. This is why we study. We're like, okay, okay. I want to be that guy. I want to be able to say that. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Finish the verse. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter one. This has to be your faith reserve. This has to be something you're going towards. This has to be something you understand in a world that is not predicted to be easy, but instead to be daunting. Peter had gone through so many things And he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ has begotten us again or born us again or given us a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. And if you want to know how certain Christianity is, just go to Israel and look at the empty tomb and say, My Savior's alive. He's alive. It's not just good wisdom from Buddha or good advice from Oprah or some good thoughts from Dr. Phil. This is Jesus Christ who on the cross, the sixth thing out of his mouth, yelled, It is finished. And then he committed his spirit to the Lord and he died and was buried and it was horrible. And yet he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, our two last enemies. The tomb is empty. This this is what sets Christianity apart from every other faith and religion and, and, and mysticism and meditation and any kind of thought philosophy of life. By the way, this is very important for you young people and old people, who, you who defend the faith. You don't, does everyone know everything? Anybody got all the answers? Okay, so we have a staff position for you if you, if you know, want to serve here. Nobody? Okay, that's fine. I don't either, but I do know this. Jesus died, and he rose from the dead. Okay, that's enough for me, because nobody else is doing that. Nobody else is doing that. Everybody else is dying and staying dead. And Jesus conquers sin and death And that is our living hope. All other hopes will ultimately evade you. They will elude you. You will find them dissipating. Whatever hope you have, I'll hope to be a a, a rich person, or I hope to get a spouse, or I hope to get some kids, or, man, I hope these kids move out of my house, or, you know, I, I hope all these things happen, all these hopes that we have, these... This is a living hope. It's not a perishing hope. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Stop right there, Eyes up appear. Verse 4, Peter now tells us that not only do we have a living hope, but we have an inheritance. And he lists it four different ways. Three in the negative sense, it's undefiled, it's imperishable, it doesn't fade away. And then the fourth one is a positive attribute. It's reserved in heaven for us. Now, he doesn't talk about heaven a lot and what it is. He actually talks about heaven and what it isn't. He says, this inheritance doesn't fade away. It's imperishable. It, it's, it's not defiled. Now, inheritances in those days were a big deal. In our day, they're, they're kind of like hit or miss. Not everyone... Participates in an inheritance from their family. In those days, you would get your father's name, you would inherit it. In those days, you would get your father's business, you would inherit it. In those days, you would get your father's house, you would inherit it. In those days, you would carry on the father's line. It was a big deal, an inheritance. That's kind of cool because we also receive our heavenly father's name. We're image bearers. He's building a house for us. The family business is ours. We get this, this inheritance. And I don't know how inheritance looks for you down on earth, but a lot of us think about inheritances and what we're going to get from whoever when they pass on and what we get from Christ because he died far outweighs anything you could ever get here. As a matter of fact, the inheritances we get, let's just study this out and see what it says here. It says, first of all, it's incorruptible. It doesn't perish. Interesting how things change here on, on earth. I did a little research this morning before I came to church here and I asked my Google internet searcher, little thingy. I said, how much was a million dollars worth, well, actually, how much would $10 million today be worth in 1865 is what I asked. And in 1865, if you had $500,000, that was how much money you had, and then you saved that money until 2020, and you came to the table with $500,000 and said, I got $500,000, it would actually be worth, to these days, it would be worth $15 million. Let me say that differently. If you had $15 million now, it would be the equivalent of having $500,000 in 1865. But if you carried that 1865, dollars through time to present day, it would be worth how much? $500,000. In 1865, though, it would be worth $15 million. You'd be a millionaire. But as time went on, it would just start to perish. The things of this world don't hold value. Have you noticed that? Man, it used to be 20 bucks was a lot of money. 20 bucks is nothing. Now it's a $100 bill. $100 bill is like, you know, your kids, hey, I need some money. Not my kids. My kids don't need any money. <sighs> right, kids? <sighs> Here's the deal, though. It's incorruptible. It doesn't perish. It also, it says, secondly, that it's undefiled. See, the inheritance that we're going to receive from our king won't defile us. Have you guys ever seen somebody receive a large sum of money and it actually messes them up? Has this happened? This is so common. It messes up families. It messes up individuals. I've seen it happen in my short little life where people, you would think money's a good thing. It's a tool, right? Well, it can become a big problem. In heaven, the inheritance that we get is undefiled. And lastly, it doesn't fade away. So often people get inheritances or things down here on earth and it just slowly just disappears, becomes nothing because they don't invest. Let's look at verse four, the very last though. He says it's reserved in heaven for you. Did you know that your inheritance, because you're a believer in what you do on planet earth, actually will be in heaven when you get there? Everything you do, and this is maybe something to focus on, you gotta believe this by faith. Most of you aren't, you're smart. Every one of you are smart. None of you are dumb here. You know that if you have some money and do good with it, it will have a return on your investment. It'll do something for you down here. If you're foolish with your money down here or your stewardship, it'll return foolishly. Do you understand that everything you do for Christ by faith goes into heaven and it's deposited into your eternal account and it's kept in heaven for you as you live your life you can be 100% poor live in poverty below the poverty line and when you get to heaven you're going to be the richest person in the world this is so fun The things you do in Jesus' name for the glory of God and for the good of others are an investment that goes into heaven forever and ever. And God gives us this inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. And I don't want to be a rich man on earth and a poor man in heaven. I would rather be okay being a poor man on earth and a rich man in heaven. And may the Lord give us that type of faith to live. He goes on to say, not only are we the, born again into a living hope, to an inheritance incorruptible, but we are kept, verse five, by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Guys, in verse five, he finally alludes to a little bit of what our part is. He says that we are kept by the power of God through faith. Last week, we talked about election and how the Lord knows us from before the foundation of the world, and he knows who will be his and who will not be his, and it's by his foreknowledge that we are saved, by his foreknowledge that we are elect, and now we're kept by the power of God, and there's an inheritance that's reserved for us. What's your part? Faith. Believing. Believing that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Believing that you're saved, believing that Jesus is enough. Not believing in yourself, but believing in him, the promises of God. How many of you guys have tried to put a lot of stock and effort into believing in yourself before? And as I go through life more and more, I just come up short. Not only do I come up short, I I am short, just permanently born that way. And it's so fun when you realize it's not about you, it's not about me. As a matter of fact, John six twenty nine. hopefully you guys have committed this to memory. John six twenty nine. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees in the temple one day, what must we do to do the works of God? It's a good question for Pharisees to ask. Doers, servants, workers, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus simply said, believe on him who he sent. If you want to find your life radically altered, If you want to be that person in life that people look to, no matter what's happening in your life, and they look at you as an anchor, as a foundation stone, as a leader, as a beacon of light, okay? It doesn't have anything to do with you and your ability. It has to do with your ability to see beyond what's happening and to trust in Jesus Christ. You're going to be tested. You're going to come up short. You're going to fail. You're just made that way. Well, what must we do to do the works of God? The Pharisees were really all into works, man. We just got to work, 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 work in Jesus And Jesus. said, here's the real work. Believe in me. And let me just make sure you understand this. That actually requires work. You have to tell your mind to rest and to believe in Jesus Christ. Beyond your own failures, beyond your own insecurities, beyond everyone else's own failures. Otherwise, you're going to be that Christian that's walking around looking like you just got baptized in pickle juice. Have you seen a Christian that looks like they've been bad past some pickle juice? It doesn't make any sense. It's like, are you a Christian? Yeah. Really? So you're filled with the Holy Spirit? I suppose. Wow. Your sins are forgiven you and your eternity is set by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yep. <laughs> and yet the, the people, yet they're down because something's gone wrong. They're unable, you're unable, we're unable to do the things that we wanna do. What about him? Is he able? Guys, this is Christianity like 301. This is big time. This isn't just the basics. This is believe in him, believe in him, have faith. Verse five, he says, we're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter had seen the revelations of Jesus Christ. He'd received the teachings of Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord allowed him to live in a time of difficulty and hardship and failure and loss in order that the contrast would be stark. What are you hoping in right now? And it's so hard for Americans because, man, we just, we're so soft. We don't want anything hard. We don't want anything difficult. Man, the, The age of absolute perfection. We're in the, the best it's ever been. And so when things get disrupted, even just a little bit, how dare they? You know, I can't believe. It. We're so offended. And yet the Lord asks us, what are you focusing on? He says it here. It's a powerful verse. I want you guys to understand this. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Your job is to believe. God's job is to keep you saved. How good do you think he is at his job? this is so fun. This will save you from a lot of strife and grief and worry and fret when you realize that you are kept by the power of God, that if you are a saved person here today, you will stay saved because it's not you who saved you, it's God who saved you. I believe in once saved, always saved. Now, you might be saved and be a little brat sometimes, but you're still saved. I'll use the illustration of walking my kids across a busy street, when they were younger, I would say, hold my hand, and they would reach up their little grimy little paws and grab my hand, and we would cross that busy street. And the reality is, as much as they're holding my hand, I'm actually holding their hand. If a big car were to be barren down the road or something were to happen, or maybe that kid didn't want to hold my hand anymore, forgot that we were in a dangerous situation, I, as their dad, you know what I wouldn't do? Let go, never. As a matter of fact, you've seen those parents before holding their kid's hand and they're floating. You ever seen that before? You don't see it as often. People don't want, want you know, it's not a good sight, you know. And the, the kid needs to be held, you know. This kid, this kid, I gotta, we gotta get across the road, you know. And this kid wants to let, as a Christian, when you try and let go, when you forget, when you get fatigued, when you fail, and you try and let go, guess who doesn't let go? Your father. You are kept by the power of God through faith. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one this ministers to, because I know my story. I know how dumb I've been. I know how hard I've kicked and screamed against the Lord. I know how much of a brat I've been. I know how, how, if it wasn't for him and his power to keep me, I got no hope. I got nothing going for me. But Peter here says, no, no, you are kept by the power of God through faith. For salvation, which will be revealed in the last time. Guys, it's not always about what's happening right now, but we are trusting God in the last days to reveal his plan. Look at verse six. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter now begins to unpack a dual reality, that Christians greatly rejoice in the fact that we're kept by the power of God, but we're also realizing that we are grieved by various trials, This is your life. God has saved you. He is keeping you. He is perfecting you. He has a plan for you. And yet, at the exact same time, you are grieved by various trials. Let's make sure we see both sides of the coin here. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. In what? In the salvation. In the fact we're kept. In the fact we have a living hope. In the fact there's an inheritance kept for us in heaven that doesn't defile, it doesn't perish, it doesn't fade away, it's reserved, it's all there. We rejoice greatly in this. And let me just make sure you guys understand, this is how the church is supposed to work. We're supposed to be a happy bunch of people. We're supposed to be a rejoicing bunch of people. We're supposed to be witnesses in everything and everywhere we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, one of my life verses, I quote it, I pray it, I give it to people. Whenever somebody asks me to sign their Bible, which has happened three times in my life, and I always feel weird, I always write 2 Corinthians two fourteen Because it says, now thanks be to God, who through Jesus Christ leads us in the victory, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. That's a cool verse right there. That's one to think about. Now, thanks be to God, who leads us everywhere we go in victory, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. Did you know that God, on purpose, has you in your place of business, has you in your family, has you in your age, in your stage, in your gender, in your location? He has you right there on purpose to be like one of those little vanilla aroma trees in the front seat of a car—little aroma things to change the aroma. Yeah, that's what He has you there for. You're the, you're the aroma of Christ. if the church would understand this and embrace this and walk in this because I ask this question are you greatly rejoicing right now in your inheritance that's incorruptible undefiled and does not fade away that is reserved in heaven for you not only does 2 Corinthians 2.14 say that but 2 Corinthians 5.2 says that we are ambassadors for Christ and God through us is pleading to others that they might be reconciled to God <laughs> this is so fun I don't know but I love living in a small town I love everything I get to do and I love going to Walmart and to Fred Meyers and to JC Market and to Safeway. And yesterday I was looking for some fennel bulb. There's no fennel bulb in all town, okay? Good luck finding fennel bulb this week. You're not going to find it. I had to get some fennel seeds instead. But anyways, I, I went to Fred Meyers and so I went to Safeway and, and, and I, my son had like never been into Safeway. I was like, you want to go to Safeway? Let's check it out. So we went to Safeway and we're shopping in Safeway and man, saw so many people. It was so fun just seeing people, dozens and hundreds of people. And the Bible says that you as a Christian are an ambassador for Christ as if Christ were pleading to others that they might be reconciled. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Is that how you look at your life? Peter's talking to some people that are in the world, dispersed pilgrims, about to go through a heavy persecution. Most of these people would die after reading Peter's book. Caesar Nero would launch a persecution two or four years after this writing that would lead to the death of six million Christians. That's a lot of death, It's a lot of bloodshed. And so Peter said, guys, we rejoice, we rejoice. It's gotta be by faith. The last verse I would put for your consideration is in Romans chapter 11, verse 14, if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 11, verse 14, Paul actually says about his life to his Jewish brothers, Romans 11, he says, I magnify my ministry so that I might provoke my brothers to jealousy. Uh, let's just unpack that real quick. Because when I hear these verses, they actually make sense to me. Paul says, I actually do what I do in a more robust way, in a more free way, in a more joyful way, on purpose. So the people around me that don't know Jesus would actually be jealous of me. Now, How many of you guys think that sounds a little bit, you know, evil? <sighs> Peter's, or Paul's hope is, is that the people around him would want what he has, knowing, listen, no, listen, no, listen, listen knowing that what he has is available to anybody. One time I was working at the Good Bean Coffee House and these two ladies came in to get some coffee and I was fired up. I've told you guys this story. I was so fired up and they were joking. They said, we'll take a bagel and whatever else you had. And I told them, I said, well, I actually haven't had any coffee yet today. They said, well, what? You're, you're, wow. And I said, and then then I got kind of weird. I was like, you want to know what I did have? <laughs> and this is Ashland. Like anything goes, they're like, no doubt, dude, tell us what you got, you know. And I told him about, about my day, how I'd gotten up early and spent time with the Lord. And I told them of the verses that I'd read in the scriptures. And, and at that point, they, they began to like back off a little bit, but I kept going. I told them about, about the hope that I have and the peace and the joy. And, you know, they, you know, only ordered bagels. That's all they got. But... I just want you guys to see this. Look at verse six again. In this, you greatly rejoice. Here's my simple question. Do you rejoice? Amen. Are you a joyful Christian? Peter's not messing around though. He goes on to say, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. You ever see somebody who's super happy and full of joy and bubbly? You're just like, whatever, they don't know my life. They don't know my pain. They don't know my stuff. You know, that's 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 an easy thought. Here's the deal: just get, just settle into this. Everybody suffers. Everybody's broken. Even the people who mask it real well and, you know, put that face on. And yet, Peter's not asking us to mask it and to fake it. It's by faith. And then he goes on to say, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Interesting way of introducing us to suffering. Let me ask a question. How many of you guys in here know everything? We already asked this once. Anybody? You guys change your mind? Anybody? How many of you guys in here right now are bearing all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit to full abundance in your life? Anybody? Okay. So what that tells me is that you need some more trials in your life. You don't know everything and all the fruits aren't there yet. Peter rolls this out, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. I don't go looking for trials. I wouldn't suggest you do. Trials will find you just fine. They've got your number, your name, your address. It's like a Christmas card, just wait. He says though, we've been grieved by various trials, if need be. And I want you guys to understand this about suffering Until we've learned all there is to learn, until we have the fruits of the Spirit, until we resemble Jesus Christ perfectly, there'll need be more trials in your life. As you get older, you realize that God is up to something when you suffer, when you're tested, when you go through certain difficulties. Let me give you three things that the Lord might be testing you in right now. He tests us in various ways. One of the tests we go through is just the test of time. Things don't happen as fast as you want. You ever just wait and wait and wait, and two weeks becomes 41 weeks, and things don't go the way. Joseph was tested by time. God told Joseph he was going to be something, and 17 years went by. Abraham and Sarah were tested by time. God told them that they were going to be fruitful, and they're blessed, and many, many decades went by. Moses was told by God at a young age he'd be used in many, many, many decades went by. The the men of God, the women of God are tested by time in order that in time we would become more and more like Jesus. Not just time, but there's certain trials we go through, just difficulties that will give us a test and then we'll have a testimony. If you've been through some trials that don't make any sense, you didn't ask for it, you didn't deserve it, and God says, I know. I know. It's almost like when a brand new car is released from Car and Driver magazine. When a brand new car is released, they take that car to the track in order to test it, not to destroy it, but listen, to show it off. When you go through tests, have you realized that God knows what you're capable of? And he knows that through this test, you're actually going to become a stronger, more pure, more righteous man or woman. And without that test, you're actually not going to become the better person that he wants you to be. He'll test you with time. He'll test you with trials. He'll actually test you with successes and trophies. As you succeed and excel and things get bigger and better in your life, did you know that's a test? Peter was tested. Paul was tested. Whenever they would go into amphitheaters and preach, there would be a great response and people would love them and they would have to make sure that God got all the glory. And even in your your advancements and in your, your, your blessings, there's a test. Now, here's one of the misnomers. Some of you think, if I become a Christian... If I repent of my sins, if I get my act right, if I live better, if I try and live holy, if I try and, k okay, am actually going to be testless, test-free. How many of you guys think this is true? And you do. You think this is true. Like, I'm a good guy. I'm trying to do it right. All of a sudden, this? What's this? Understand this. This is next-level Christianity. You're saved? Okay, cool. That means it's going to get difficult for you. Why? If need be, you're tested that the genuineness of your faith being more precious to God than gold that perishes by fire might be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he goes on to say. You're going to be tested because God wants more of you and more from you, listen, and more for you. C.H. Spurgeon has this quote. I'm going to read it to you. Because most of us don't want to be tested. We dodge problems. As a believer, you actually think you don't deserve problems. I, I don't deserve this. And the Lord says, Oh no, I ordered that for you. <laughs> what? Why would you do that? C. H. Burgeon says it this way He says, Indeed, it is the honor of faith to be tried. Shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether thou hast any faith at all? Shall a man say, I have faith? I have great faith in God, but I've never had to use it in anything more than the ordinary affairs of life, where I could probably have done without it as well as with it. Is this to the honor and praise of thy faith? Dost thou think that such a faith as this will bring any great glory to God or bring to thee any great reward? If so, thou art mightily mistaken. I wish i talked like that. That'd be kind of cool. C.H. Spurgeon says, your faith hasn't been tested. You think it's great faith? No, your faith will be tested because it needs to become great faith. Three things that happens in our suffering. Again, verse six, in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while. If need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by the fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, write this down or go back and watch it later today and put it in your notes. Suffering does three things. Number one, it purifies our faith in God. Your faith becomes pure, it becomes refined, it becomes tested. Number two, it grows our love for God. We'll talk about that. And number three, listen, it minimizes things that get in the way of God. First thing we'll talk about is faith and how it is purified in testing. In the days that this was written, a goldsmith would take gold and he would heat it up in order to prepare it to be used. It would need to be refined and made flexible through heat and pressure. And the goldsmith would heat this up, and the dross would be exposed and removed and burned away in the impurities, and he would do this time and time again until that gold, listen, was made ready for what the goldsmith had use of. Did you know that your trials you're going through right now are preparing you to be used by God? This should be good news for some of you who've been through hard difficulties, some of you who are going through stuff right now. When the goldsmith would heat up that gold, He would have his hand on the dial, if you would, on on the fire. It wouldn't be so much that it would destroy the gold, but instead it would actually do in that gold exactly what it needed to be done, and your faith is being refined in your difficulties. Job, in chapter 23 of his book, he says it this way. He says, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job had such faith in his testing. He suffered more than anybody. Job said, even if the Lord slays me, Yet I will still trust him. Your faith. Like Spurgeon says, Oh, you have faith? Great faith? Has your faith been tested? No. Well, it's pro- probably. What kind of faith is that? And again, as a Christian, we think I, I believe that the tomb is empty. There's my faith. The tomb's empty. And the Lord's like, okay, we're, we're gonna take that faith, we're gonna put it in the fire real quick. We're gonna turn it up. What, what'd you do that for? Because I want to use your simple declaration in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is saved, You'll be Jesus is raised. You'll be saved. From the, you'll, be, you'll be saved. That's cool. Well, then what? Well, then the testing, if need be, refiner's fire. Second thing that our suffering produces is not just a refined faith, but suffering grows our love for the Lord. Look at verses eight through nine. He says, "Whom having not seen." you love. Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Stop right there. eyes up here. Peter is writing to a group of people who didn't know Jesus. They'd never seen Jesus. They'd only heard of Jesus. And he says, the refining fire that you're going through makes that love for God grow. Not only is your faith becoming purified, but your love for God is being intensified. Let's make sure you understand what he's trying to say here. You've never seen Jesus and yet yet you love him? Have you ever been around a Christian before that really loves Jesus? I mean, they're, really, they don't just, they're not just religious, they were just raised that way. I mean, they're filled with the love of God. And the way they became filled with the love of God, get their story, listen, is through trials and testings and testimony and God providing. I had some friends come visit me this weekend or this week at the office and uh, Don and Debbie, with Rose sitting over here on my left, and just got to hear their story a little bit. And as Don and Debbie were sharing, it was so fun because I've known them for just a, just a little bit of time here, you know throughout the summer and got, got to meet them, and they've been going to church here for a couple of years. And, and I just heard their story, and I kid you not, as I heard Don and Debbie tell testimonies of, of how God provided and led and guided through difficulties. The love of God that they have for God was evident. Their love, their love had been purified. It had been grown. Their faith was real through the testimonies, and it wasn't just one awesome thing after another awesome thing. And hey, this other awesome thing. No, it difficult things. How's your love for God? Having not seen him, you love him. Have you ever thought about this before? I mean, if you love Jesus, if you truly love Jesus, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you love his word, you love the church, you love to sing, you love to worship, man, you're crazy. Peter's saying, you guys have never seen him? Peter had the privilege of seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus, being on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And then he writes this letter to people who are pilgrims and elect and sojourners and about to be persecuted. He's like, do you guys love Jesus too? That, That love must have come through trials and difficulty. Don't count yourself as less, precious people. You're so important, your faith, your trial you're going through right now is to make sure that your faith is pure. It's being strengthened and purified, but also that your love is intensified. And the last thing I'll just tell you before we move on, a few more verses and we're done. Not only will your faith be purified and your love intensified, but the things that get in the way of your relationship with God will be minimized. When you go through trials, the things of the world that you hold on to so dearly that get in the way When you go through trial, you let those things go. There are things in this silly, silly world, little trinkets, traps, diversions. Psalm 119, verse 67. The psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your precepts. If you have a testimony here where you've gotten in trouble, you veered off course, you went wacko. And then the Lord allowed you to run that course of difficulty and hardship and rebellion. And now you're like a sheep that's been rescued. And you just stay next to the shepherd. There's no better place than the shepherd. Before I was afflicted, I went astray like a cuckoo head. But now there's no place like home. Why are you going through your trial right now? Maybe the Lord's refining your faith. Maybe the Lord has a purpose for your faith and it's not yet ready. Maybe you need to go through something right now because the Lord, like a silversmith, like a goldsmith, wants to do something. And if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Do you need trials? Don't be a baby. Don't be a baby. Don't be a baby. You need trials. You ever go to the gym before and say, Do you have any weightless weights? you have any of those fake weights? Any of those? Do those those work? No. You go to the gym and you ask for the heavy weights. And you ask for a trainer that's gonna hold you accountable and yell at you. At least that's what I do. Maybe the Lord's refining your faith. Maybe he's growing your love. This would be so fun. If in 2020, the church of Jesus Christ... Had more love what if the church of jesus christ at the end of 2020 the worst year that we know of right just just chalk it up it's the worst year ever what if we became more faithful more loving listen and less intrigued by the things of the world what if those three things happened it would be so awesome What if the Lord in his sovereignty and his wisdom allows difficulties and various trials that the genuineness of our faith, the purity of our faith would be (sighs) pleasing to him at the revelation of Jesus Christ? I think that's what the Lord is doing in our life. That's what he's doing in my life. Not only does it do those three things, it makes us pure, it makes us more in love, and it makes us less into the things of this world. This might be the most important. Look at verse 10. It says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Stop right there as up here. Suffering not only does those three things, but it also makes us more like Jesus. How many of you guys think that to become more like Jesus means loving, serving, Kind, holy, worshipful, wearing sandals, you know, other attributes, you know, like you fill in the, you know, whatever, you know, it's like, oh, you're like Jesus sandals. Those are cool. You know, I'm sure he had a glorious beard. I don't know. How are you doing in your identification with Christ in your suffering? Again, we're a bunch of babies. We don't want to suffer. There's, you, you can get some way to avoid suffering. There's painkillers and there's, there's things to avoid suffering. I don't look for suffering. And yet in Philippians chapter three, Paul says, I'll just read it to you. Paul says in verse eight of Philippians three, he says, yet indeed, I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, listen, that I may gain Christ, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. (laughs) When I was a younger Christian, I'd read that part so fast. I have no idea what Paul's talking about that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. That sounds cool. Do you know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering? Or are you quick to complain, quick to tweet, quick to craft a post, quick to reject this suffering, quick to go to something of the world, some alleviation, some thing to make it better? And Peter, looking to a group of people that were going to suffer, that were called to be submissive, that were going to have to serve and that had to hold on to hope, says, guys, did you know that the prophets of old actually prophesied of our Christ and the sufferings and the glories to follow? This, this verse is a little confusing, verses 10 and 11. I want to just explain what he's saying here. All of the Old Testament is written, pointing to Christ in two fulfillments. Number one is the glories of Christ. This would be fun when Isaiah would receive a prophecy and write it down, and it would speak of the coming king, like, oh, 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 this is good, and the lion shall lay down with the lamb, and the kid's gonna play with the cobra, and man, it's gonna be so legit, you know, and then also Isaiah would get another prophecy from the Lord, and he would say, like a lamb led to the shearers, he remained silent, and By his stripes, we are made whole. Isaiah 52 would say that his visage was more marred than any other man, that you didn't even know if he was a man. Not unrecognizable, like, is that Jesus? I can't tell, but is that even a man or a beast? And the prophets would receive both. They would see this beautiful Prophecy of the coming king and these things that would, Psalm chapter 2, and these beautiful promises. And then they would also see, wait, whoa, 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 I just got another prophecy. It doesn't, it's pretty gnarly. I'm going to read it to you. I want you to see this. Verse 10: Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Verse 11: Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them, listen, was indicating when he testified beforehand, right here, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. When you suffer, if need be, your faith is refined, your love has grown, your attraction to the world is weakened. But most importantly, you identify with your savior, Jesus Christ. You're more like him. They prophesied of the sufferings and the glories that would follow. Can you imagine how confusing this would be? Because the prophets of old, they didn't have what we have, which is 2020 vision. They didn't know, see the end from the beginning. They just saw the two mountaintops. You ever gone on a drive and seen mountaintops, mountain ranges? And you see these two mountains, you see mountains. But below the mountains and leading to the mountains are valleys. And the mountains that they saw in their prophecy were the mountains of Calvary where Jesus was killed and crucified. They, they saw that. And then after that, they saw another mountaintop, the Mount of Olivet, where Jesus will return one day. We're still waiting for that to happen next. Where he will return as the conquering king, the lion of Judah, the Alpha, and the Omega. What's in between the cross of Calvary and the return of Jesus Christ? The valley low. here's what I want to encourage you guys in today. And we're going to sing one more song in just a minute. I'm going to have Tobias come back up and we're going to sing joy to the world. Right now we're in the valley. Okay. We're in the valley. You can't have the glories that will follow without the sufferings that come first. That's what's going on. Suffer well. Your faith is being refined. It's being made perfect. Your love is growing. Your fixation with the world is minimizing. You're becoming more like Jesus day in and day out. And you're kept by the power of God for salvation that will be revealed in the end times. As a matter of fact, I just want to leave you with, these, with this where well, we'll start next week. He says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Just one thought about that. Peter is writing now to the saints who would read this and kind of get some understanding of how life is to go. And he would say, did you know that the angels don't even get this stuff? How many of you guys feel bad that you're such a lame Christian? You're just a lamo. Like, I don't get any of this stuff. And guess what? The angels don't get it either. They're desiring to look into these matters. What matters? The matters of salvation. The only thing that's going to last forever. It's the thing that matters the most. As a matter of fact, I asked Pastor Bo, he's our, one of our major print designers, to print a shirt that says, I'm going to heaven. Okay, we have a bunch of shirts over here today. We had more at the beginning. I think you guys took more than you should have. That's okay. There's more over here. And they say, Jesus saves, Jesus changes everything. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, all these slogans that to me are like, this is it. This is what it's all about. It's all coming down to this. This is what angels desire to look into. Verse 13, final words. And I'm gonna have Tobias come up and lead us in this song. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stop right there and we will, come on up, Toby, and we will pick up there next week. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Guys, did you know that everything we're doing right now is a battle of the mind? The work of God right now is to believe in him who he sent. If you believe in him, you will behave differently for him. It's a battle of the mind. You can't change your heart. You don't have access. But you can change your mind. God won't change your mind but he can change your heart. If you change your mind, God will change your heart. And so the battle belongs in your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. What do you believe? How much news have you been watching? How much Facebook have you been scrolling? How much TikTok have you been ticking? Just ask yourself these questions. What are you full of right now? Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. To gird up the loins would be to take your robe in those days and to tie it in the fashion of an athlete. When you would wear a robe in those days that was the custom attire, you would just normally walk slow and not act aggressively in that way. But you would be able to tie your robe up in order to run. Gird up the loins of your mind. What in the world is going on in your life right now? This is such a strong word for Luke Frechette. Luke, what do you want? How do you want 2021 to begin? The battle of the mind. What's it full of right now? What are you filling your mind with? If these things be true, if your faith is more precious to God than gold that perishes by fire, if we see him or haven't seen him and love him and that's pleasing to him and if the prophets have foretold of these things and the angels are trying to figure this out and you and I know more than angels at this point. You know, the angels are looking down here at South Beach Church going, are you for real? Luke Frechette gets to be the pastor? What? Looking at Jesus, what? These guys, those guys call themselves, what? It's the grace of God our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mouth. Would you guys stand with me as I pray and we're going to sing joy to the world? Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that your word would become now faith and fruit in our lives, that we would live differently as we go our way. It's Christmas week. If I'm honest, Lord, outside and around here and the world temperature, everything is chaos and crazy and there's difficulty and suffering and problems everywhere. And yet, Lord, our faith is stronger than what we see. And I pray an anointing upon my friends. As a matter of fact, before we sing this song, if you need an anointing of faith, would you just raise up your hand right now as a Christian and say, I want to be this person who allows difficulties and trials to test me, make my faith more pure, make my love more rich, and make Make my witness more broad. Would you just raise up your hand right now? Lord, do you see the hands that are up? Would you have ministry upon these people, Lord, and blessing? Just fill them. We thank you, God, for all you've done. You can put your hands down. Bless us, Lord. I pray you bless the Christmas Eve service and all the things that happen here at South Beach Church this week and in our homes. Help us now to sing this song to you with joy from our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Uh